Good morning. This is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and welcome to Palliative Care Chat, the podcast brought to you by the online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program at the University of Maryland. I am delighted, I'm just simply delighted to introduce our guest today. It's Timothy Cox, who is Senior Director, Home-Based Post-Acute Care Evaluation and Oversight at CareFirst Blue Cross Blue Shield. Mr. Cox has a really interesting background, and we were just chatting prior to hitting the record button that we have one thing in common. He attended Bucknell University, as did my sister and my niece, so uh, clearly a, a superior academic institution. And Mr. Cox also has a JD from Widener University. Uh, he resides in Washington, D.C., so not too far from me. I work in Baltimore. So, um, Mr. Cox, what else is pertinent in your background. You've got a very lovely um, biosketch here, and you've got such a wonderful background. So before we jump into our topic, what else do you think is important for our conversation today? Uh, well, thank you, Lennon. First of all, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. I'm honored to speak about what I do at Care First and the benefits that our members have. Thank about you. my background, I'm in my 33rd year of healthcare and really have spent uh, all my adult life in the post-acute care area. Mm-hmm. So I did... Uh, a regulatory stint for a while as uh, a regulatory attorney for Sunrise Senior Living. I helped them go public and uh, mm-hmm. opened eight new states for them uh, in the regulatory sense of licensure process. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think the other highlight is I've worked for for-profit, non-profit, and including the federal government. Mm-hmm. Actually, at the time when Katrina hit, I was running the Armed Forces Retirement Home, and without FEMA's help, I safely evacuated 432 seniors out of our Gulfport, Mississippi site and got them oh all up goodness. here uh, and then uh, rebuilt that site with the help of Congress. Oh, my goodness. That is an amazing list of accomplishments. So why don't we, even though most of the people listening to this podcast probably do understand the difference, why don't you tell us from your perspective the difference between palliative care and hospice care? Sure. So palliative care is the uh, ability for a group of caregivers uh, very holistically, so it's not just focusing on medical. It's having therapies that could include music, aroma, reggae, Uh, It includes spiritual help, and it really deals with people with serious illness. Mm -hmm. So it could be people who have cancer, but they're not typically going to die within the traditional Medicare um, guidelines of six months or less. Mm -hmm. So it could be somebody who has Parkinson's, someone has lupus. So palliative care really looks at care coordination and symptom management at the base place the person wants that care, which is usually in their home. Mm-hmm. So obviously you think palliative care could start way more quickly than, for example, hospice care. Absolutely. It should start. You know, symptom management is really important because we tend to, with serious illness, wait until we have a crisis and then use the emergency room, which is really mm-hmm. the last place we want people to go to. Uh, we, really, we really want them to be able to be proactive. And as a health care provider and insurance provider, uh, we feel we can um, help instigate that care further upstream rather than waiting till there's a crisis. You know, you may have noticed an interesting trend that I've noticed as well. Obviously, we have our online Master of Science degree in palliative care, and I am amazed at how many physicians I know who are actually emergency physicians by training, but they're moving closer and closer and more and more into the palliative care realm. So what the heck is going on with that, do you think? Well, I think what's very interesting is that physicians realize that the care they can give uh, at the emergency room is really just Mm -hmm. triage, Mm -hmm. you know, and that our healthcare system, you know, we've set ourselves up to have the emergency room be where our primary care physicians act, and that shouldn't be the case. 
you know, uh, a majority of people look at the emergency room as their minute clinic, and mm-hmm. we need to reverse that. Absolutely. So colleagues who are, as you said, changing from emergency room physicians to look at palliative, they feel mm-hmm. they can do more for that person by helping them control their health, you know, mm-hmm. earlier on rather than waiting mm-hmm. until there's a crisis. I think ED docs also see medical futility often, and mm-hmm. perhaps they're the first one to really have that meaningful goals of care conversation with patients and their families. Do you think that could be what's at play here also? That's a very good point. You know, oftentimes people go because they don't know what other resources are out there. They haven't mm-hmm. planned. You know, they haven't talked about the quality of life that they want when they have an emergency or when mm-hmm. their uh, health uh, continues to fail. And at the crisis time, that's not the appropriate time to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you were talking about hospice and palliative care. You do realize that the rest of the world really doesn't make this distinction between hospice and palliative care. And I suspect that when you share with us what you're doing at Care First, you'll be telling me about your efforts to actually bridge that gap between the two. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at Care First Blue Cross Blue Shield? Sure. Happy to. So Care First, oh, uh, about uh, seven years ago, started a program called Patient-Centered Medical Home. It was a model really to deal with the serious ill members and who had a very high spend and who were very sick to be able to help them have a better quality of life uh, at a place outside of the hospital. So perhaps it was just a living facility or perhaps at home with home care. And one of the barriers that Care First saw is that getting people back home, the traditional home um, care requirement that a person be homebound mm-hmm. was a barrier because mm-hmm. being a commercial insurer, many of our members are younger, so they wanted to go back to work. And even if they could work part-time, they could no longer get, for instance, physical therapy at home because they no longer met that homebound requirement. Ah. So Care First backed up and said, hey, you know what? We need to change this and go to the insurance commission and say, we want to be able to remove the homebound requirement from our insurance policies. Hmm, Because we feel the benefit, yes, we feel the benefit could be uh, utilized at a much higher rate and keep people out of the hospital, you know, make sure they get their full complement of services that they want. Because oftentimes someone will go home, the moment they're not homebound anymore, they stop the service, even though they could have used maybe, you know, two or three more weeks of physical therapy or occupational therapy or, or wound care. Mm-hmm. So when those services stop prematurely, you know, then we have a propensity to increase the chances that they'll come back to the emergency room, mm-hmm. you know, which we really don't want for their care or for, you know, or for their quality of life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've been on the other end of that table where I have sat in team meeting and heard a hospice nurse report that I guess we're going to have to discharge this patient because she left the home to go visit her granddaughter. That's just so crazy. People it is should so be crazy. allowed to lead their lives still. Right. So that was oh, the first thing. That's the first thing that Care First did. The second thing mm-hmm. they did is they removed the curative treatment barrier. You know, oh. oftentimes, again, with the traditional Medicare benefit for hospice, mm-hmm. you have to forego, uh, you know, curative treatment in order to get hospice. Right. Which means you couldn't even have, you know, a skilled service from a home care agency continue if you went on hospice. Mm-hmm. And Care First, again, visiting members, visiting providers, when we looked at changing this benefit, said, well, that seems ridiculous. If people want hospice because they are serious ill and will eventually die because of that serious illness, but why should we have them have to choose? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes having that uh, curative treatment is also helping manage the symptoms better. Mm-hmm. 
and we should allow the patient and their physician to decide what clinically is best for them, not to say it's an either-or. Wow, that's a bold move. That can't be uh, commonly seen in the field. I think this is the first I've heard of it. It is not commonly seen, Lynn. And in fact, uh, you know, I've been speaking since I joined Care First in May. I've been speaking publicly, and it's amazing how many providers don't understand the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that um, our home-based services, our hospice and palliative care benefit, uh, is really an additional benefit that improves quality of life, uh, that gives our members an opportunity to have better care because it's more coordinated. That's wonderful. Well, selfishly speaking, since I work for the state and I'm insured by you, could you share with me what is Care First um, Hospice and Palliative Care Benefit? Yes. So our hospice and palliative care benefit, so we have two parts. Uh, One is the traditional benefit, you know, that is part of everyone's uh, policy. The added benefit is through our program in home-based services, which Mm -hmm. causes that benefit to be enriched Mm -hmm. on both sides. So home-based services, uh, and all uh, someone has to do is it's part of your uh, employer contract with us mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they allow these additional benefits to be presented. I see. And so we push the employer hard to include those benefits because mm-hmm. what it does is it gives more flexibility and more complement to the service. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, on the um, home-based services side, your benefit would include that you don't have to be homebound in order to get that home care. So you want to go to work part-time, you had a car accident, you broke your leg, you need physical therapy. You want to go back to work, you can't get to your physical therapy appointment because they're only open to five. We will have a home care agency uh, send a physical therapist at your house at 7 o'clock at night so they can meet you after work. Mm -hmm. So it gives you flexibility that you can continue to do that so you're 100% repaired, not Mm -hmm. 80% repaired or not 50% Mm -hmm. repaired. And we feel that that benefit, we know that benefit is, uh, you know, saving cost for us, which obviously is important, but more importantly, it's giving that 100% quality of care that our member needs to be 100% recovered. So are most employers going along with this? And you're pointing out that by providing additional services, everybody is actually saving money. Yes. So we are, and most employers do uh, have that as part of their benefit, which is great. Uh, that the is wonderful. The state of Maryland does have that, so you are covered by that. Yay, there yeah. you go. Well, that's what I don't break my leg anyway. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't wish that on you either. <laughs> Thank you. you. Know, so then the second part is for hospice, uh, you know, having a younger population, having, you know, a serious illness, especially cancer, you know, uh, kidney failure, you mm-hmm. know, um, uh, diabetes, you know, that to be able to get curative treatment and palliative treatment, so you get that symptom management at your home, it's mm-hmm. amazing how people are adverse first because most palliative care uh, is provided through a hospice agency. Mm-hmm. So when somebody hears hospice, like, oh, I'm giving up. You know, I, you're not going to help me, you know, continue to mm-hmm. live as long as I can. That's opposite of what palliative and hospice do. Yeah. You know, when people get into palliative care, they actually have a better quality of life and actually yeah. live longer than just right. continuing you know, futile treatment. Mm-hmm. That's been shown time and again. It that has. That is a real barrier, though, using the word hospice. People are so afraid of that word. And so what you just described, how is this different from the traditional Medicare benefit? So it's traditional Medicare benefit, uh, you have to have a physician uh, certify that mm-hmm. uh, you're going to die within six months or less because of your illness. Mm-hmm and also that you have to forego any curative treatment. Okay. So right. that's pretty narrow. And mm-hmm. you know now there are some Medicare Advantage programs, 
mm-hmm. that uh, CMS has started where through um, options you can change that. So uh, there are some benefits out there now through Medicare Advantage where uh, it's getting closer to that care first ideal, um, mm-hmm. which is really important because you know people don't necessarily want to give up, especially if you're younger, but you are terminal, you know, it may make the family feel better that you're still Mm -hmm. continuing with chemo, you Mm -hmm. know, on a very light treatment because Mm -hmm. it's still providing hope for that family. Yes, yes. You know, so we just don't want the... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you finish, please. You know, what we don't want is just to treat the member that part of us looking at the enriched benefit is that it really helps the member and their family. Sure. But that's a really difficult um, decision to make. I know I prepare the new drug talk every year. And when it comes to the 15 chemotherapy drugs that were approved, I'm, it's way over my head. Uh, but I, I look at those drugs and the cost of those drugs, and I think, how useful are they really? I mean, do you really, does anybody really give the patient the information of, okay, you may live a month longer, but you may be throwing up three of those four weeks. It's, it's very right. difficult. Yeah, It is. And, you know, what you know, part of my responsibility is, yes, to talk to providers to let them know what our benefit is, but also to talk to physicians to let them know that, you know, there are some alternatives. And what I tell our, you know, nurses, our members, when I'm speaking with them about making a difficult decision on going to palliative care and or hospice mm-hmm. is that, you know, it's called symptom management. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be hospice or palliative care. Where right. do you want your symptoms managed best? Not in the hospital. Mm-hmm. You want to be home. Absolutely. So, you know, I've talked to oncologist groups, uh, you know, in our area, and our area is all of Maryland, Northern Virginia, and all of D.C. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what they said is, oh, just giving more information lets the patient and the family be more knowledgeable about what the alternatives are. Mm-hmm. It's not saying don't choose this or that. It's saying here's right. all the information so you right. can make a better informed choice for your yeah. care. That's pretty out of the box, I have to tell you. Um, most people don't get the full scoop. Some people don't want the full scoop. Um, difficult. It difficult. is. It is. And, you know, part of, you know, the serious illness conversation that we're having, you know, certainly statewide in Maryland, is just to be able to start the conversation saying it's not anything to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. You know, and really, again, I can't, you know, uh, you know emphasize enough that, having the conversations while you're not in a crisis is so much more important because in a crisis you're not hearing you're reacting you know you're not able to take the step back Mm -hmm. you know physicians naturally want to take care of us so we rely on them to lead us not Mm -hmm. necessarily for us to step back and absorb that information and be able to make an informed choice that is so true. So you mentioned you're also responsible for home-based services. So we've talked about the hospice Medicare benefit. Uh, what are the significant differences from a traditional home health care benefit? Very, very good question. So thank you. So again, Care First went out, which I think is so progressive. They went out, talked to members, talked to providers. And you know what they found was, one, we talked about that homebound requirement that's in uh, the Medicare. They thought homebound really restricts. Because most people um, go home, they recover, uh, they're able to partially go back to work. Again, Mm -hmm. we're a commercial insurer, so most of uh, our insurance is through employers. So the goal is to get people back to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, They go back to work, and then the home care agency traditionally would then have to drop the case. Mm -hmm. So we remove the homebound requirement, and we also uh, enable uh, the person to have skilled services, homemaker services, 
uh, it's like a home health aid service mm-hmm. uh, in their home, which usually, if you're not homebound, you couldn't have any of those services provided in right. your home. You would have to go to an outpatient clinic to be able right. to get those skilled services. So to give that flexibility to be able to people have them, and also we ask our uh, partners to be able to be flexible. You know, we had one uh, time where um, a, a police officer was new to uh, her um, diabetes and didn't know how to use the glucometer, was mm-hmm. on uh, a day shift. Uh, the nurse from the home care agency said, well, if you have a private space to meet at the police station, I'll even meet you there. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, the flexibility that we ask our partners to have to be able to meet our members where they need Mm -hmm. their care is really important. So as that shows, you know, the nurse was flexible enough to say, hey, you know, it's easy to show you how to use this. It's going to take 15 Mm -hmm. minutes. You know, if you have time and a private space at work, I'm happy to come to your workplace to be able to do that with you. Yeah. You know, I personally think that we should let home care and hospice nurses rule the world because they are so (laughs) awesome. They just are the salt of the earth. They are. You know, I, yeah. I guess I have a bias because you know I've been in the post-acute care world forever, but you mm-hmm. know, it takes a special person to be able to deal with death and dying, serious Absolutely. illness, and the patients, the skill level that the nurses have, and physicians that mm-hmm. work in palliative care and hospice uh, are so admirable for, for what they we are. do. And the nurses in particular are just so skilled at a workaround. So they will make this work come back or high water. So exactly right, Lynn. They respect. sure do. Uh-huh. Yep, they sure do. So you, you've touched on this a little bit, but how did care first come to first identify the need for these changes? This is pretty dramatic. It is dramatic. And, you know, care first had a few providers, uh, home care, actually mm-hmm. come to a meeting. And uh, at that time, uh, our CEO asked, you know, tell me, you know, what are some of the barriers you see that are because of our policies that mm-hmm. restrict you in doing your care? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a bold thing to ask because vendors sure. sometimes don't want to speak up, you know, because obviously they get paid by us. Yeah, but on the other hand, they speak up and they think, well, maybe they're a troublemaker. Well, you know, uh, our CEO took these discussions really to heart. And, mm-hmm. you know, several of the providers said, you know, they mentioned the barriers that we've been discussing, you know, homebound, um, restrictive care, that, you know, flexibility, hours, you know, having to be home during the day when someone works instead. And so, you know, he came back to his team and said, I think we could do better. How do we give some flexibility to our programs? And yes, sometimes traditional home care is fine, you know, uh, but, you know, with a younger population that we serve, I think to have the flexibility would be better. And so we went to our insurance commissions in the three jurisdictions where we serve and um, increased our our benefit. Mm -hmm. And I would argue it's not just younger people, too. I think patients of all ages would really value this approach. Absolutely. I think the more restrictive we are with where care is provided is not where we want to go. We all want the flexibility to be able to, whether it's, uh, dialing in and talking through our smartphone, uh, you know, doing FaceTime, whether it's a video chat. Uh, we want that flexibility to be able to get the care where we want it, which is when we want it 
mostly being home or you know, I have an hour for lunch. I can't drive to a cl- midi clinic, but I could talk mm-hmm. to the nurse over the phone. Right. You know, I could do you know a video conference so I can see the nurse and she can see me. Mm-hmm. You know, so or he can see me. So you know, I think the flexibility that we're trying to build into our benefit packages is being driven by consumer demand, regardless That's of age. Wonderful. Yes. So some of these things you just mentioned is that part of the focus for the future for Care First? It is. It is part of the future for Care First. Wonderful. You know, telehealth obviously is something that you know uh, is being talked about, being utilized, you know, inconsistently. But you know, we really see um, you know telehealth being a primary motivation. Certainly, you know, we don't have a Medicare product, so now when someone retires, they can't continue with Care First. Mm-hmm. So our we have a new CEO, uh, Brian Pinnock, and he has you know, really asked us to evaluate uh, our ability to participate in Medicare Advantage and Medicaid uh, Mm -hmm. in the 2021 uh, market year. So we're currently working on evaluating how we could do that, how those policies would look for us. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think to be full service and to be able to continue with somebody who's had our care, you know, I've had care first you know, ever since being an adult. So, you know, going on my 59th year, you know, uh, of age, I really appreciate having Care First for, you know, over 30 years. As do I, I over 30 years. (laughs) Okay, so I wouldn't want to not be able to have that option when I retire. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so you get on that because I'm not that far away. <laughs> okay, good. I promise we're working diligently on evaluating that. So just one last question for me. This, this marvelous initiative of community-based palliative care, are hospices eager to pick up this challenge? They are, fortunately. They, mm-hmm. they see that there's an added benefit for uh, being able to get care out to persons earlier mm-hmm. in their, you know, in their illness. So the point is usually hospice, you know, one of the things when I ran hospice organization, family members after their loved one had died in hospice said, oh gosh, I wish we would have gotten the service earlier. Yes. You know, so it, you know, anecdotally, you know, everyone really likes the service and said, oh my gosh, it was so wonderful on being able to have our loved one at home, the care you provided out of the hospital. You know, it was just exactly how, you know, our loved one wanted to die. Yeah. So, you know, now getting into serious illness and helping people manage, you know, and being to say, okay, one size doesn't fit all. You don't have to be in a care plan, mm-hmm. and we don't have to see you every week. If we stabilize your Parkinson's, maybe we touch base with you once a month. Right. right. You know, but it's those, you know, palliative care agencies now that are saying, hey, we can be flexible and develop care coordination for you based on what you need at yes. the place that you want it best, which is at home. That's so important. I think that's been the missing link for years in our continuum of care with serious illness, not just terminal illness. Would you? I'm, obviously, you agree, yes? I do agree with you, yes. Yeah. You know, that we really haven't been able to deal with that. And like you said, so many of our colleagues outside of the United States have already you know, designed programs that mm-hmm. work that are you know, home-based. And mm-hmm. you know, that's where care will be, is home-based not going to be, you know, at the mini clinic. It's not going to be in the emergency room. You know, we'll be able to, you know, provide many more services, you know, at the home, which is, you know, mm-hmm. the best place to serve most of them with, with it, without an acute episode. Absolutely. Well, Mr. Cox, I'm very appreciative of your time and the, hearing about the amazing things that Care First is doing. Are there any last thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners before we wrap up? 
I just really appreciate uh, Dr. McPherson having me on and talking about palliative care and love the energy you have. And I just, if people have questions, uh, you know, they can certainly find me at tim.cox at carefirst.com and happy to speak to anybody who has more questions about uh, the, the services we provide. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much again for your time. Uh, I would like to thank Mr. Cox for his valuable time and information. Uh, I personally am excited about this, uh, both for myself and my family, but even more importantly for our more global community. Again, this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and this presentation is copyright 2019, University of Maryland. For more information on our completely online Master of Science and graduate certificates in palliative care or for permission requests regarding this podcast, please visit graduate.umaryland.com edu forward slash palliative. Thank you.